Welcome to another episode of Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Kirsten Holder, and today we're talking with Joe Beth Hammond, Councilwoman for Ward 6 in Oklahoma City. Welcome, Councilwoman Hammond. Thank you so much for having me. We're so glad you're here, and thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I'm sure this is just a crazy time in your position. Um, everything is going on right now. <laughs> our, our families, our viewers, they're handling this climate of COVID in different ways. Um, they're handling the racial division we're all facing in different ways. Um, but I think one thing we can all agree on, it's, it's heavy and it's a hard time for everyone. Um, so we know you have a degree in family and counseling services. Yeah. You've spent time with Mental Health Association Oklahoma, and you also coordinate the largest mental health conference in our region, the Zaro Mental Health Symposium. So with all that expertise, we are really hoping you can give us some advice. <laughs> How can we best pr protect our mental health as well as the mental wellness of our kids and our family members during this time? Yeah, I mean, it is... Um... It is super important to be really cognizant of that because I think that, you know, we in general, our culture is not, um, you know, super often very willing to address mental health and um, potentially mental illness. And uh, and so it is um, it, it's one of those like maybe a little bit of a silver lining of a lot of what's going on is people really do seem to be. Um, you know, just a little more willing to, to admit when they're not doing super well and when they maybe need a break or, or need some help. Um, and so I, the, the thing that I constantly come back to that, um, that actually the, our chief uh, empowerment officer at the Mental Health Association has expressed is really taking care of those, um, you know, how we have these like safety precautions, universal safety precautions to, um, you know, to protect ourselves against a virus, you know, having mental health universal safety functions. So, and those things are, um, I think they seem very, um, you know, common sense, but I think we have to say them out loud to remind ourselves because we're, it's not, we're not like always the best at just taking care of our own, our own health. So, um, you know, making sure we're getting plenty of sleep, um, taking breaks, resting, relaxing when we can, maybe unplugging from the news, you know, every once in a while, um, you know, eating, uh, you know, staying, you know, eating good food, nutritious food, um, and then and just getting, um, you know, some activity each day. So whether that's a walk around the block or, you know, going for a bike ride, or I know maybe people do exercise videos at home or whatever it is, just staying active in some way, um, getting some, you know, fresh air, sunshine. Um, and then that next layer, you know, that's kind of just what we should be doing on a daily basis to keep ourselves well. Um, and a lot of that goes for both physical and mental health. But then, um, you know, that next step is, you know, recognizing maybe when you're not doing super well, you know, who are those friends, clergy, faith community, you know, family that you can reach out to to express that, express maybe you need some support taking care of the kids or, um, you know, maybe someone could do a grocery run for you and that really like take some, you know, uh, some things off your to-do list that would really help. Um, give you some time back and, and kind of not stress about trying to get everything done throughout the day. Um, and it's interesting because I don't have kids, but I've been hearing from a lot of my friends who do that it's been a really hard experience, like as much as they love their kids, like having them home, you know, 24 seven and trying to deal with kids not really maybe understanding why they can't go over to a friend's house or having to skip a birthday party or something um, and trying to find those replacements is, um, you know, just, just trying to find the times and, and be creative about how you can, um, you know, uh, 
still mark those you know moments and, and find those creative ways to still connect with friends and family um, are all things that I think will uh, hopefully go a long way to help families and, and individuals really just take care of their own mental wellness while we kind of try to you know continue figuring everything out as a as our world kind of um, you know new things pop up every day. <laughs> Yes, that that is the understatement of the year. New things <laughs> well, and those are all reminders that I need in my life. So I'm sure mm -hmm. other people, you know, those things are easy to forget. Like you said, going outside, getting some sunshine, drinking enough water. I mean, when you're stressed, Absolutely. those are the first things that go out the window. I know I'm not alone. <laughs> I know I have to remind myself every day. I'm like, oh my, I need to go for a walk. <laughs> like I just go to take a walk around the block, you know, unplug from the phone for a few minutes. And it, it does take a, um, sometimes, you know, maybe even setting a little reminder on the calendar to, cause it's hard. It is just, just the first thing that goes when we kind of get all caught up in um, trying to get everything done throughout the day. Yes, yes. And to your note about um, kids being home right now, that just adds another layer of complexity. You have to take care of yourself, but you're having to take care of these little people as well. <laughs> um, it gives kind of new meaning to the phrase, it takes a village. <laughs> so for um, those of our, our viewers and our listeners that have older kids in the home, um, I'm sure they're going to be especially, you know, in tune to some of these signs and warnings because, um, older kids don't always necessarily come forth and say, I'm feeling X, Y, Z. Um, and, you know, there's many reports out there that um, teen suicide has been on the increase. It's, it's been that way for the past decade. Some reports quoting as high as 56% increase um, over the past decade um, with teen suicide. Um, with those statistics in mind, why should parents consider um, suicide prevention training and also, what are some of the key signs to look for in our kids um, that would indicate mm -hmm. we all need to seek help? Yeah, um, well, I think there is that, you know, obviously the 56% is, you know, more than half. So, um, you know, I think there's a, generally people have a sense like, you know, it's someone else, you know, someone else's kids, it's not my kids, or it's not me, maybe. Um, but obviously, that's a pretty, you know, we're over the majority of um, teens in our state and our region. Um, so I think just generally, you know, all parents and all people just need to be just cognizant that, you know, it's very likely someone, maybe it's not their um, kids, but maybe it's their kids' friends or um, nephews or nieces. Um, and so just making, I think the um, trying to get away from that idea that it's not something that's going to affect my family or, or my friend group. Um, and as far as warning signs, it really can range. Obviously, there's no, um, we wish there was like this one, you know, sign that fell out of the sky that would say, oh, someone's really struggling and is maybe having thoughts of suicide, but um, it really can range. You know, what um, when we do suicide prevention trainings at the association, um, you know, we talk with maybe about little, little ones, maybe saying things like, you know, I just wish I could go to sleep and never wake up. Things, you know, not, not maybe, it's sort of that developmental idea of what, at what stage are different um, youth, uh, the, what, is, what is their understanding of death, what is their understanding of their own sort of internal, what's happening in, in them, there with their thoughts. Um, but maybe for teens, it's, um, and in general, you know, we talk about really just being mindful of what is somebody's, um, our understanding or our interaction with somebody's um, on a regular basis? You know, are they, do they, um, 
are they really involved in certain things? Are they, um, you know, really excited or passionate about certain projects or sports or whatever it is? And is there a big shift in that? Um, you know, that's sort of one of the biggest signs is just loss of interest in things that they're really passionate about. Um, you know, maybe uh, disconnecting from a friend or friend group that they were once really close with. Just some of those um, maybe situational clues about, you know, what, what's going on in their lives. And obviously with, with COVID-19 and kind of how the world's kind of changed right now, um, that especially is like a huge situational shift for a lot of um, youth. So um, I think for every family, it's just really important to, to be ex especially mindful and kind of heightened awareness of, you know, what, what are my kids spending time doing throughout the day? Are they, you know, are they still connecting with friends? Are they still feeling like that is, um, you know, fulfilling, even if it is at a distance or, um, or, or less often. Um, some other things to look for is just, you know, what, what kids are saying, you know, um, what, what we always say is never take any warning sign for granted. So, you know, even if teens are, you know, prone to be dramatic or, you know, things, something that you might not feel is really important um, or, you know, maybe life-changing for, you know, a teenager, it can be, you know, the end all of, you know, their, their life being successful or, you know, them being able to see, um, see something else for themselves in the future. So, um, you know, we always just say, take every warning sign, everything that you might be concerned about, you know, if you feel like you can't talk with your child about whatever that sign is, um, you know, if it is them uh, withdrawing from friends, withdrawing from family activities, uh, you know, not engaging in um, something that they're really passionate about before, um, if they're giving away prized items, like maybe they have a sweatshirt that's like the sweatshirt they wear all the time. I know when I was in high school, I had like my, my golf sweatshirt that was like the thing I wore all the time. And if they're giving things like that away, um, just being mindful of what what's maybe going on. Maybe they are just, you know, like they haven't seen a friend and they're like, hey, I want to share my sweatshirt with you, but maybe there's something else going on. And um, so again, if, if, it, if you don't feel like you as a parent are, you're going to get the conversation that you want, maybe it is a grandparent or an aunt or a teacher that you could reach out to to say, can you speak with my child? I'm kind of worried about them. I'm not sure what's going on. Um, and I just want to, you know, make sure that they're okay. That is so valuable. Thank you so much. And it sounds mm -hmm. like a lot of these signs are they're subtle, but they're not. And so just kind of paying attention um, mm -hmm. and keeping note of, of the kids. And right now, you know, all the more better to do that. We're all together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we take especially close note of all of those things. But um, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I'm, that is just so valuable. So um, right now, another thing that's going on is the Black Lives Matter movement. I've seen on social media that you've been active in um, many of the protests and marches that have been going on. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you've observed um, as you've been there? But also um, maybe some key things from what you observed. Um, how can parents start conversations with their kids in the home mm -hmm. about racism, about racial justice? Yeah, um, it's been um, really great to be involved. You know, I was, um, I got to attend, I think it was 2016, um, the Black Lives Matter chapter of Oklahoma City did a big march rally um, down in Bricktown and I got to attend that. and. Um, yeah, I think what what to me has um, been so energizing about these rallies and, and protests that have been happening is um, 
I do see a lot more diversity of the audience. Um, you know, I, uh, in 2016, I think that March in particular was was really diverse. You had I you know had a lot of uh, saw white folks there, a lot of black folks, Hispanic folks. Um, but this time around, it, it feels like there's more of a um, diversity of that racial diversity in the crowd, and so um, I think that observation that just like um, there's maybe more people who are engaging um, with this conversation is, is really encouraging. Um, and yeah, and I, again, I don't have kids, so I don't know how uh, necessarily to best give advice about how to engage in racial justice conversations with, with young people. Um, but I think one of the, the things that I constantly hear, uh, and I think I can take from my own experience, is that even just talking about and acknowledging race is is the first step because I think growing up, I um, I kind of grew up in that kind of 90s where post-racial, we don't, you know, everything's fixed. I grew up sort of learning that the civil rights movement had fixed all the problems and that those didn't exist anymore. Um, and so I think for a lot of um, people, it is just not shying away from that conversation about um, about what's what's going on and um, and and saying that and, and even just educating yourself because it, it for me it took a lot of years of like oh that thing that I learned about the civil rights like there was more to Martin Luther King Jr. than what I learned just you know as a fourth or fifth grader and I know there's a lot of um, I actually I have a few friends that like I said have kids and they had been sharing around some books that they were using with their um, kids that are mostly very young you know like five to seven ten maybe um, and I know there's a Clara Looper kids book that um, that has come out in the last few years telling the story of Clara Looper and the sit-ins um, with all the youth in Oklahoma City. Um, and even I have this really great book that I just bought because I really liked it, but it could be great for kids too, is called um, Rad Women Worldwide. Um, and it really, it has these stories of, you know, figures in history and in current day that I think I never learned about. Um, because they were maybe from different countries or, um, you know, just being women, they weren't as, um, they, they didn't make all the history books kind of thing. And, um, and it really, I think for me, I was like, man, if I had had this book as a kid, I think my world would have been wider of understanding like what, what issues are going on around the world, as well as in the US and, um, and what have uh, people been doing to fight for um, human rights and, uh, and equality and access to things like education and um, you know, good, good schools, good food, that, you know, that sort of thing that um, just being able to engage, I think, with um, maybe the things that feel maybe a little uncomfortable for um, uh, families maybe to engage with is, is just not shying away from that and trying to engage it in a way that is, you know, obviously there's developmentally appropriate ways to do that, depending on how old your kids are, but um, finding those ways that, you know, I think a lot of publishers have really been kind of widening that um, to, to have a lot of kids books that can really talk through some of this stuff and give um, just, yeah, give some framework to um, to talk with kids about stuff that can be really difficult and, and tricky even for adults to try to communicate about. Yes, thank you. We can all relate to that. And I've just loved all your steps so far are very start small. I mean, these are mm -hmm. actionable steps. You don't have to jump into the deep end of all of these heavy issues. You, you start one step at a time. And so thank you for that advice. I think that's a very approachable mm -hmm. way um, to make it real in our own homes. So 
That is just great. Um, kind of on the same subject, um, you were reportedly the only council person to vote no on the recent um, proposed Oklahoma City Police's budget. Can you tell us a little bit about your reasoning behind that decision? Sure. And and it's it's interesting because I think in the narrative, and I understand why, because it is really when you get into like the council agendas and stuff, there's like really particular things that have this history that is like hard to communicate. But so what I voted no on, well, so I voted on no on the whole city budget, which would have included the police budget as well as some other budgets that I was like, I don't think we're, I think we should be giving them more money. Um, but uh, with the, the one I was the only no vote on was there's a public safety sales tax that was passed in 1989 that every year council approves the a resolution saying what both fire and police will spend that money on and there are because of the way that the um the vote was written back in the 89 there are only there's very particular things they can spend that on um so i understand that in some ways we're a little bit locked into spending that money on certain things but i think um from the perspective that you know, in particular, your higher the I think um, one of the things was, you know, paying for 200 plus officers. There's some um, in there that to me was um, not super clear about what it was. It, and in general, when we vote on things at council, we're kind of voting at a really high level. And then all of that really particular stuff happens later. And we maybe don't always see the, you know, the particular line items. Um, but for me, I think the um, the thing that it really came down to was in general, um, you know, people, I think the response that I've gotten is, well, that, you know, the voters approved that. And so why wouldn't you just support it? And um, my answer has been that, you know, back in 1989 and even recently in 2017, there was another public safety sales tax um, passed. And, um, but what I, think about is, well, we just keep giving people the same tools. Um, this one tool is like, you know, you see problems in your community, this is the tool to fix it. And so it makes sense to me that people have passed those because they want to see things fixed and they want to see things, you know, change um, and, and be taken care of. But um, my, my concern is that, um, you know, we've, we've given people one tool and that is police sort of as the idea of what public safety means. And so, um, you know, I think we've made a shift of that maybe with maps for, you know, we passed, we included a lot of things that I think would address a lot of what police are addressing now. Um, but I think in many ways we've, uh, you know, we've, we've, the police have continued to ask for increased funding because of our defunding of so many other things like education, mental health services, um, you know, uh, parks, transit, things that really connect people to jobs, um, educational opportunities, and things that we know um, actually decrease crime. So my, my sort of thinking was, you know, I think we, I understand the argument that, um, you know, that, well, voters approved it, and so this is what we need to spend it on, but I think we could get maybe more creative in that resolution about what that public safety sales tax needs to be spent on to say that the, maybe there are some other tools within that. Um, that we could be spending that money on that really actually do produce public safety um, in a in a maybe more broad definition of what that means. Yeah, that's that's really helpful, kind of breaking it down in that way um, and kind of figuring out what else is possible for the betterment of society. I think that's what we're all for at the end of the day is a better society. Mm -hmm. So. 
kind of in closing and, and on that note, how do we move forward from here? We've got all these heavy things going on in our lives and current events in our homes and, and on and on. Um, from your expertise in, your, in mental health, um, from your uh, view in, in public service, um, in the position you're in right now, how do we move forward from here? I think a lot of um, what I've been thinking about recently, sort of as, um, you know, it feels like with, especially with the city budget, it kind of felt like this, um, like what all this momentum was leading to in the last month. Um, and so now I have a sense that people are like, okay, well, we didn't, you know, we either did win or we didn't win our thing. <laughs> um, and so I think in a lot of ways, it's, um, it's just continuing to stay engaged, informed, you know, to the extent that you're not maybe over informing or, you know, overindulging and, um, and not getting that balance maybe with, you know, being able to take breaks and, and, you know, taking a few days off and resting and, and kind of recharging. Um, but I think so much is just continuing to have um, conversations with one another, continuing to engage um, elected officials on every level of government um, to communicate, you know, and, and have that conversation about what, you know, keeps our families safe and healthy in the era of COVID. You know, what do our communities need um, to, uh, to really solve issues like um, mental health crises, addiction, um, you know, poor nutrition, lack of access to internet or, you know, those sorts of things. Um, so that, you know, because I think in a lot of ways, both COVID and the most recent kind of um, development of protests and rallies around racial injustice in our country um, have sort of just like laid more bare a lot of the problems we already knew existed and just kind of showed us, you know, we didn't have the public health infrastructure to really respond we didn't have the safety net for people to um, to really, you know, feel secure when things had to shut down, um, you know, across the board. And um, and I think we can maybe think about that, take that into consideration as we, you know, try to move forward about, you know, what are the things we need to do and put in place and and take care of and fund that will make us resilient if this were to happen again. And knowing that it's, you know, it's, it's a little while until we're even recovered, that we're still sort of in it um, for a while until there's probably a vaccine. And even then, you know, there's, um, I've read things that say that essentially, you know, well, this will probably become a thing that we're gonna have to have a vaccine for every year, like the flu and that, you know, this is something that is gonna um, just be part of our lives for a long, long time. So, um, you know, just, thinking about what are the things that we maybe missed the mark on this time around and how can we, you know, change that um, going forward and making sure that we're, um, you know, taking care of everyone, knowing that we're also interconnected. Um, and I think COVID has really shown us like how much, you know, we rely on folks that work at grocery stores. We rely on folks who drive the buses and we really, you know, it's, um, you know, a lot of uh, people that we didn't really see as like heroes or first responders are, we're now recognizing, um, do a lot of hard work every day and that we really rely on them and we need to uh, make sure that they are taken care of and can take care of their families as well. 
You are so right that it, it's the small things in this day and age. And, and I'm sure all of that just wraps, wraps up and contributes to our own mental health, maybe finding some gratitude in those moments. And mm, yes, that's a great, that's a great word. <laughs> yeah. Well, Joe Beth Hammond, thank you so much. I know um, you've got so much on your plate. We appreciate your public service. We appreciate you taking time to talk with us today. Um, so thank you all for joining us and join us next time on Raising OKC Kids. Thanks so much. Bye.